I really don't like going to the gym. I mean, I really don't like going to the gym. And um, the reason, I think the reason that I ultimately don't like going to the gym is because of uh, one of my PE teachers. And uh, I will just call him Coach M. And um, every every uh, every class, which was uh, five days a week, we had PE. And after every class, he would have us run a lap. And because I was overweight, um, I would always come in last. And so we had to run the lap and then shower and, and go on to our, address for our next class. So that was at the end of the class, so I would always have very little time, and I resented him for that. Um, and I resented him also because one day he pointed out the obvious. I was coming in last, and he has to wait for me to finish that lap. And so when I finally arrive, he says, did, did you ever consider losing some weight? <laughs> you know, good idea, coach. <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Um, but he said that's kind of thing to everybody. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't just uh, offensive to me. Um, he was that way to everybody. He was always telling people to uh, suck it up. Um, if you if you uh, got the wind knocked out of you, he'd tell you to uh, to uh, walk it off. If uh, you you um, uh, got injured on the field, he'd tell you to shake it off. He was always p- telling people things like that. Um, so uh, Coach M was uh, full of um, uh, uh, encouragement in a way that I found very intolerable, and I think some other people did too. Although he was a football coach, I can only imagine what he would have been like um, as a football coach as well. That was bad enough as a PE teacher. Um, and, and maybe you can relate to Coach M. Maybe for you it was a different uh, uh, letter, but you, you can remember a coach that you you found very challenging to, to like. Um, maybe for you it wasn't a coach, maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was, uh, for those of you who served in, in the military, maybe you can think of some particular boot camp instructor that, that uh, sticks in your mind today. Um, uh, the kind of people who tell us that, um, that we need to push through it or we need to uh, play hurt or they tell us nobody ever drown in sweat or, or uh, that pain is weakness leaving the body. So, so there's people like that in our lives, and sometimes they're a little hard to take. Um, but uh, we have them. And uh, a, a question for us today, as we as we look at our reading, is how that how that relates to what Paul is talking about. Today is Father's Day, of course, and I think um, at least in our society, uh, fathers serve that role more than more than mothers. Mothers, you know, if I can uh, generalize and, and use some stereotypes, I would say mother, mothers tend to be the ones. Who, who kiss it and make it better, and fathers tend to be the ones who say, no pain, no gain. And, uh, and, uh, that, that's, that's different from different people, but, but I think that's probably more common than not. My father-in-law had a, a phrase when I would be complaining about some situation at work, he would tell me, yeah, that's why they call it work. <laughs> so, so there are, there are these people in our lives who, who remind us that, that um, life is not necessarily hard, and uh, we just need to get on with it. So, um, in our in our reading today, Paul is continuing the the this long um, this long discussion he's having, and and um, <clears throat> he's turning a corner here in chapter five. Up to this point, what he's been doing is saying, um, if you were hoping to to get into God's good graces by your behavior, by the things you did, or by your pedigree. By, by, you know, what important people you were related to. Paul says, well, good luck with that. That's not going to work. He says, you, you can't do that. That, um, everybody, 
Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody has has done so, either because of their pedigree, because we're all related to Adam, or because of the actual things they've done. So Paul says that we are um, we're fallen creatures. But he says that's okay because God loves us and has acted in Christ to save us. So he says, you know, that's the way you get into God's good graces is by accepting the fact that you already are. So that's the place he's he's come to uh, so far. And now he's saying, okay, now what do we do with that? Where do we go with that? So he says, he says, um, uh, therefore, since we have been made righteous through his faithfulness combined with our faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that we have peace. We have been set right. That God doesn't hold a grudge against us. God is not, you know, nursing some grievance up in heaven. And, you know, when the opportunity comes, you know, lightning or something like that. That's what he's saying is that we have peace with God. There's no, there's no war. There's no state of hostility uh, between us. God's, God's uh, good with us because of what Jesus has done um, for us. <coughs> so that's, that's summing up what's come before. But Paul goes on. It's more than just a, a truce. Um, he says, we have access by faith into this um, grace in which we stand through him, and we boast in the hope of God's glory. We boast in the hope of God's glory. What does he mean by that? He means far from simply being, okay, well, there's no active fighting going on. He means that God is is um, revealed that he's, he's restoring everything to his... Um, to his good creation. He's, he's restoring creation to his good purpose. That That's what God's project is, to restore all of creation to God's original purposes for it. And within that, as a part of that, to restore us to his original intention for us. We have access to the hope of what God is doing, this this glorious thing that God is doing to, to restore us, to, to restore creation to paradise and to restore us to our role, our, our vocation as stewards of paradise, to be to be um, uh, 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 images of God who reflect God's um, uh, image into His good creation. So He says that's our hope that that God is not simply saying, "All right, I won't fight you." God is saying, "No, I have great plans, and and you figure in my plans." So He says we have access to the hope. And then he says this. So, so, so far, so good, right? You know, what, who, who's going to argue with any of that? But then he says this. He says, not only that, we even take pride in our problems. We take pride in our problems. Problems. Who wants problems? <laughs> you know, no, nobody wants problems. And it comes across as kind of strange because you might say, well, wait a minute. If, if, if God's, if God's good with us, if we're good with God, if there's no hostilities, and, and more than that, we figure in God's plans. If God has good intentions for us, why would we have problems? Wouldn't problems be for people that God doesn't like? You know, why would we have problems? You know, what's, what am I missing here, Paul? And, and of course, uh, <coughs> Paul is, Paul is going to talk about that, but we know that we will have problems. Jesus assured us of that. Jesus said, in this world you will have distress, but be encouraged, I've conquered the world. Jesus said flatly, we're going to have problems. And um, he, he said uh, this, he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise builder who built a house on bedrock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the wind blew and beat against the house, and it didn't fall. Paul, uh, uh, Jesus is saying, <laughs> there's going to be rain. 
It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. There will be rain, there will be storms, there will be floods that enter our lives. We're going to go on having problems. So Paul would have agreed. He would have said, yes, that's what Jesus taught us, that suffering will continue. Um, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. No, the suffering, though, will continue until Jesus returns. That until Jesus returns to complete the work of redemption, there will be suffering. <coughs> so Paul is saying, yeah, that's going to happen. Now the question is, what do we do in the midst of that suffering? So Paul says, we can take pride in our problems. <coughs> Why can we do that? Well, we can take pride because we know that trouble produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. <coughs> so he says, he says, because, because nobody ever drowned in sweat, because sometimes you've got to play hurt, because, because sometimes you just need to push through it. Paul is saying essentially here what what uh, Coach M used to tell us in PE class. Paul, and and it's not like Coach M invented that idea. You know this is this is an old idea. If if you would walk around the Roman world uh, in the first century, there would have been any number of Stoic philosophers who said the same thing. You know, you know, suck it up, shake it off. You know. Pick up your cross if they were a Christian, and they would say they would say this is what it means to to live in a in a world that is that is broken. They would have said that's the way it goes. So um, so they wouldn't have had any trouble with understanding the first part of that. Endurance uh, comes from trouble, and that endurance in turn leads to character. That it is character building to to endure all the different problems we have. But it's no fun. I mean, everybody wants to have character, but nobody wants to develop character. Everybody wants self-discipline, but nobody actually wants to exercise self-discipline. We just want it, you know, kind of in emergency break, break glass. Because it's not fun. But, but Paul is saying more than that. He's, he's saying more than, uh, this is, this is, you know, uh, uh, Something you can use to 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 go to the gym. You know, you'll, you'll feel better when you go to the gym because you know that you'll you'll build character. Um, it, he means more than you. You know, you can you can um, listen to uh, to Coach M. He he means more than that. He means the real problems, not just you know the the problems we create for ourselves by by you know getting a gym membership. He's talking about the real problems, the problems we don't have any choice about, the problems that come into our lives, like it or not. And he means. He means um, the problems that really make us suffer. And um, we don't know exactly what problems he had in mind when he wrote this. Uh, it could be he was aware of persecution. I think a lot of people uh, assume because, you know, this was Rome and, you know, Nero and Christians and lions and things like that. We might think Paul is concerned about persecution. And maybe he was. Uh, Paul had never been to Rome himself, but he might have been thinking about some persecution he'd heard about through correspondence or something like that. Maybe he was. And if so, this is this is still useful information to people today because there are uh, there's flaky Wi-Fi today. I suffer. All right. Uh, yeah, please. There we go. So... Um, so uh, we see that this is still happening today. There's there's problems that people have to deal with today. Um, uh, we heard we heard about um, 
Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we heard about a church that was attacked in Nigeria, and that is not an isolated incident. It continues. Uh, just uh, in the past a couple of days, there was a, uh, a leader in the Methodist Church in Africa who was uh, uh, who was um, uh, kidnapped in Nigeria as well. So there is persecution that still takes place today. So if Paul was thinking about persecution, it's not like we can file that away and say, well, yeah, but. But Nero's dead, and there aren't lions and arenas and things like that anymore. So, so it's not like Paul is saying this is a one-time thing. He's saying this is something that people can hold on to still today. But I don't think Paul is really focusing on problems that other people have, that, that those people have in that place. Paul is talking about your problems. He's talking about my problems. He's talking about the problems that we're all dealing with. And, and I think he means, he means the everyday problems, you know, the relationship troubles we have. He means, you know, the fact that our bodies uh, get sick, um, that people die, that we experience grief and loneliness. So he's talking about that kind of problem. But I think the past couple of years have given us an opportunity to really think about uh, the, the the kind of problems that people have always suffered that we kind of forgot about. You know, since since say the world, end of World War II, I think people in the United States have largely forgotten about a lot of problems that our great grandparents. Would have, would have assumed were just the normal course of human human behavior. So, for example, we we had to deal with just in the past couple of years, we had to deal with the p- pandemic um, for for two and a half years, and and we're just now getting to the place where we can begin to to grapple with the problems that the lockdowns caused. So, those are problems that our great grandparents would have said, yes, sometimes there are epidemics, sometimes there are plagues that afflict us, and. Uh, we're having to learn that all over again. We suffer that way. Um, we're having to learn about war in a way that that maybe the past couple of decades we we thought well war is something that happens over there and it's not our problem. But increasingly we're thinking well actually we're caught up in in um, the the security situation around the world where even even if it's a fight that we're not involved in we may feel like we somehow are involved. And in the case of the, the war in Russia and um, the war in Ukraine, um, the, the bulletin of the atomic scientists, they just moved the uh, doomsday clock closer to midnight because, because Russia's a nuclear power. So it, it affects us that way. And, and maybe we've had a couple of uh, decades since the end of the Cold War to say, well, that's no longer a problem. And now maybe it is a problem. We have economic problems, you know, people talking about the price of gas or um, about the interest rates or um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> inflation. And, of course, there's the supply chain, people talking about the supply chain, um, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, uh, shelves that are empty or whether it's um, baby formula um, or uh, feminine hygiene products or even, even Starbucks has supply chain problems. And, of course, there's the really terrible problems we are dealing with. There's, there's so many problems related to, to homelessness and uh, substance abuse um, that people are dealing with. And maybe none of these uh, are particularly resonating with you, but they're probably resonating with someone you know of. And I think Paul is talking <coughs> not about hypothetical problems, not about problems that people over there are dealing with, not about the little made-up problems like, I don't feel like going to the gym today. Paul's talking about real-world, bread-and-butter, nuts-and-bolts problems that we all have to deal with. And Paul says, 
In the face of these problems, we can have hope. We can boast in our problems because of the hope we have. You know, do you see a lot of that going on? Do you see people at the gas pump who are saying, aren't these problems great? Do you see that? Paul says that's the the mindset we should have about our problems. So why does he say that? Why can we have hope in the face of these problems? I think, again, I think the answer has to do with um, the fact that Paul is a first century Jew. And... Um, and he would have seen the, the the ways of God through the lens of the Exodus. This would have been the way that, that any first century Jew would see the great events of history. He would have seen it as something that God was involved in. So um, many of you have seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, or maybe you saw Prince of Egypt. Um, maybe uh, you remember our, our um, uh, conversation last spring about the, uh, the road out of Egypt. Uh, but God for Paul would have would have set the 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 template for things in the in the course of the Exodus. So what is the Exodus? The Exodus is the event in, in history in which uh, God freed the people of God. He freed the Hebrew nation from slavery in Egypt and led them uh, out of bondage in Egypt through the Red Sea and um, uh, through the wilderness, led them through the wilderness uh, into the promised land. That was the, the pivotal event in Paul's mind, and it would have been the pivotal event in pretty much any Jew of that time. The prophet Isaiah talks about it when he's talking about people leaving um, uh, the exile in Babylon. He uses Exodus language to talk about it. He says, the Lord's ransomed ones will return and enter Zion with singing, with everlasting joy upon their heads. The the um, prophet Jeremiah uses the same kind of language, talking about the return, not just of the, the exiles in Babylon, but those who were scattered earlier in, when Assyria conquered uh, the land. He says, the time is coming when no one will say, as the Lord lives who brought, us, who brought up the Israelites from the land of Egypt. They'll say, God's got something even better in mind. Instead, they'll say, as the Lord lives who brought up the descendants of the people of Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands he has banished them so that they can live in their own land. This idea of using Exodus language would have been very, very uh, um, natural to a first century Jew like Paul. And Paul says, if it, and so as, as we're looking at Paul, <laughs> it's helpful to think about that way of looking at what Jesus has done. That, that God has acted um, in, in a way through Jesus that the Exodus helps us to understand. That instead of sending Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, he has sent Jesus to lead us out of our bondage to sin. So he says that it is it is that process that we can we can take pride in, we can we can look to because he says we know we know that trouble produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. He says, if you think of this in terms of the Exodus, then you understand how that problem could actually be a blessing that we aren't in the promised land. No, we, we still have problems, but we're out of Egypt. We've Look how far we've come. We are now in the wilderness. And yes, the wilderness has scorpions and all kinds of bad things, but, but we're not in Egypt anymore and we're on our way to the promised land. We can look at what God has done and take pride in that, even in the face of our problems. So, the first thing we can we can remember is that in the face of our problems, God gives us character. 
by way of those problems leading to endurance leading to character. And that character is not simply to, to, you know, make us, you know, better people or something. I mean, it does, but it's to make us like Christ in the same way that God brought the people through the wilderness to, to create a people for himself, to, to forge them into the people who he would, he would lead into the land of Israel. In the same way, our, our troubles forge in us the character of Christ. We become the people of God. We become Christ-like. Paul says we can, we can have confidence in this because the love of God has been poured out in our lives, poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Says, says we don't have to worry about being disappointed. That we can have hope um, uh, and not be not have any worry about this hope being uh, disappointed. And he says the reason for that is because we experience the love of God poured out in our hearts. What does he mean by that? He means he means this is something that we experience. We we actually know what he's talking about. That he's putting words to a phenomenon we've all experienced and. Paul could write this and assume that the Roman church, the, the members of the church in Rome, would nod their heads and say, yes, that's true. And we know they did because they kept this letter and they made copies of it when, the, when it wore out. And then they began circulating it to other churches and it was preserved for centuries and ultimately it became part of the New Testament. They held on to it, not because Paul said something and they said, that, that, I don't think so. They held on to it because they said, yeah, that's, yes, Paul said exactly what I've experienced. He says, the love of God was poured out in my heart. Now, what does that look like? I mean, people experience that differently. <coughs> the uh, the Methodist um, leader, uh, John Wesley, talked about how one day his, his heart was strangely warmed. And sometimes you hear people talk about a mountaintop experience, that, that they were on the mountain and they suddenly had this this awe of, of the, the wonders of creation and the God who made it, that they have that experience. A, a lot of people, I think, though, will say the, 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 the experience they had is a recognition of what God was doing in their lives. That was my experience. I was volunteering in my church, and I found, suddenly I came to, to the realization, I was doing something that I would never have done before. I would never have lifted a finger. It would have been no skin off my nose what happened to the people that we were we were working with. And... I, I suddenly said, who, who am I? Who is God making me into? He's making him into me something better than I used to be. That the assurance I had was because I suddenly realized I am in the wilderness. I'm not in Egypt anymore. I have, I have come so far. Now, not in the promised land, but look, look how far I've come. I had that experience that God was changing me into Christ and I had assurance because we're on a journey. <coughs> So God gives us assurance in the face of our problems. So we not only have hope, we have assurance. And it's very loud when I cough. So I'll not. Um, <laughs> so we have we have we 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 understand that our character is being built into the likeness of Christ, and we also understand that um, that God. That, that we have we have ways to to experience this in terms of you know hearts strangely warmed and and a sudden recognition of the of the way that God has been at work in us. 
But if you think of that Exodus story, if you think of the, the people of God going through the wilderness, and you remember the story very well, then the way it goes is God does something. God leads them to a spring where they can get fresh water. He provides water out of the rock. He gives them a manna and quail to eat. Uh, God God provides for them some way. And then about uh, uh, a paragraph later, they're, they, they're grumbling again. And uh, we might think to ourselves, well, what if what if somehow we provoke God? What if what if God gets tired of the golden calves that we keep making? And God says, all right, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. What if you know, we, we might have that kind of um, uh, sense that that there may be a place where God says, yeah, but I'm tired of you, nevertheless. And that's what Paul addresses in the next several verses. He says, he says, remember what God has done. Remember how committed God is to this project. He says, while we were still weak, at the right moment, Christ died for ungodly people. It isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though maybe someone might dare to die for a good a good person. But God, God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. So, now that we have been made righteous by his blood, we can be even more certain that we'll be saved from God's wrath through him. He's saying, think this through. You know, why would God go this far on the project and abandon it? You know, God is committed to this. God is restoring all of creation, and he's restoring the role of humanity within creation. Do you think that if God has already done this much, if he's already uh, delivered us from slavery to sin, he's going to, to be upset because, you know, we forgot to go to church or something like that? No. He says um, we can be even more certain that we'll be saved from God's wrath through him. If we were reconciled to God by the death of his son... Not just a prophet, not Moses, but his son. If we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, while we were enemies, how much more that now that we have been reconciled is that we'll be saved by his life? He says not only that, we take pride in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom we have a restored relationship with God. He says we take pride in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says this is this is what God has enabled that we don't have to uh, be anxious. We we can have we can have peace. We don't have to be anxious that this is if this is the Exodus all over again. There's going to come a golden calf moment, and God's going to say that's it. We can have peace because it was Jesus who reconciled us. That it wasn't our doing at all. It was always about Jesus. So he says he says we can have this peace because of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom we have a restored relationship with God. So that's that's uh, the beginning of chapter 5 in the letter to the Romans. <clears throat> and um, the question for us is, what do we do with this? And, you know, the answer is what Paul said. We take pride in our problems. It's, it's not easy, you know, when you are at the gas station or when you're staring at the empty shelf to say, yeah, God will see me through this problem. God has seen me through a much bigger problem than this. And I can take pride in what God is doing. I can see the way God is at work in me, that God is changing me, that we can have we can have knowledge that God is creating a character and it's the character of Christ, that God is giving us assurance in our hearts that as we reflect on what God is doing, we'll actually see that, we'll actually experience what it is he's talking about. And because of that, we will have peace instead of anxiety. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, this letter and the knowledge that um, that our problems are not punishments sent by you, that they are the discipline that a father gives his children so that they can become better people. So ultimately, we can become like our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh God, that you would help us to hold on to this and to, to see it clearly what you are doing, that we will actually have assurance that it is you who is working in us as our characters are conformed to the image of Christ. And so we might have peace. We pray these things to Christ our Lord. Amen.